uh, the one on the East Coast, uh, where, where it all began. And I was at, we were there last year for, for a few months. I was out walking one morning, and I looked up, and I could vaguely make out these symbols in the sky. The, the, the upper ones were beginning to dissolve away. Uh, I thought they were contrails, but they're not. That's, it's called sky writing. And you can just about make out there that you got the cross equals heart. And I thought, wow, that's just brilliant. It was a Hillsong church. And it just sums up brilliantly what Christianity is. And so it inspired me really just to put this talk together. And I want to, what I want to do with the talk is just to explore with you what Christianity is. And it's really the foundation of what this church is about, presenting Jesus, Christianity to the world. Let me begin. Uh, right at the beginning, if you like. So the Bible, I want to explore the Bible with you. 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 authors from all different parts of the Roman Empire. I mean, that's a colossal undertaking. When all those were put together, they were compiled to make one coherent whole book. It is really the most incredible book on the face of the planet. Historians regard it as the most reliable source of ancient history. When we consider that there are thousands of manuscripts of the Bible on one particular event that is that as far greater than on any other piece of history that we've come to trust and believe. So it's an incredible book. From that book, I want to open one of those 66 books called Corinthians. It's based on a place in Greece. You can visit the place today, ancient Greece. You can see the ruins there. In that book, we have, it's one of the earliest books that's written, written just possibly within a decade or two of Jesus' death. So very close to the original moment of the history that he records. And in this book, Paul, the author, one of Jesus' disciples, just spells out briefly what Christianity is what the, the gospel is. And I want to look at it with you because it's, it's incredible. Let me just take you through these verses. Uh, what I'll do, just to make it a bit easier to follow me, you're probably struggling with my accent. Please forgive me, okay? Uh, or if I speak too fast, uh, just uh, tell me to slow. I may slow down for you. Uh, but I want to just break this up into three parts. Firstly, notice this. Christ died for sins. Paul begins, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. So Paul, one of the greatest missionaries, Christians ever to have lived, is penning this soon after Jesus' death. He's bringing to the attention of his church a hymn or Oh, well, they're having fun in there, aren't they? Okay, uh, that the early church began to recite as they were reminding them of the basics of their faith. And I want you to notice that Paul introduces this hymn, if you like. Notice this, by this gospel you're saved, that is saved for heaven, if you hold firmly to the word. And an interesting point, I want to just, just focus on that for a moment. We can sometimes imagine, can we, and perhaps you, you've been, you're one of these persons who's been to a, a Billy Graham crusade, or to a special meeting and you put your hand up in a meeting and you're given this affirmation that you're a Christian and you're going to heaven and your life's going to be perfect from then on. Paul wants to challenge that. And Paul's point is absolutely clear. 
that faith in Jesus Christ, unless it's ongoing, unless it's present and active right now, has no value. No matter how many times we've been baptized, no matter how many times we put our hands up in a meeting, no matter how many Billy Graham crusades we've been to, no matter what links we have with other religious people, or how much money we've donated to a church, or when we've attended church, Paul is absolutely clear that it's only present, ongoing faith in Jesus that's of any value to our eternal destination. That's a challenge, isn't it? Where am I today? Not back at the Billy Graham crusade, but where am I today in my faith and walk with Jesus? And so it begins, verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And here's what I want to look at with you. That Christ died for our sins. I want to say to you, friends, that this is the number one pillar of authentic Christianity. This is real history. It unfolded in AD 30 when Jesus Christ, a historical figure, was crucified on a cross just like this one. It's why it's the center emblem of this church. It's why Sid Thank You has put so much effort into manufacturing it. It's the central tenet of our faith that Jesus died for sins. And the important point there is, he didn't die for his own sins. We believe, and I don't know how much of Jesus you're aware, but Jesus is God, God's Son, and as such, he's equal with him. So his death is for the sins of others. Here's what a theologian writes. He is a theologian. writes. He says this, if I can just quote it to you. Well, let me just quote Hebrews 4. For we know that Jesus has been tempted in every way, just as we are, was yet without sin. So he didn't die for his own sins. Rather, the commentator writes, to die for sins means that Christ surrendered his life for the benefit of others. That's Christianity. That someone has done something for you, for your benefit, that you could never have done for yourself, and is of such value that it can move you from one state towards God, an enemy of God. And this is a horrible thought, friend, but the Bible is quite clear that we all start off as enemies of God. Every one of us. But the death of Jesus can shift a person, if you like, transport a person from a state of alienation from God to peace with him because his death pays the consequences for sins. You know, I discovered that when I was 16, three years ago, if you're wondering. <laughs> Right, okay. Four, four, Debbie. I love Debbie. Okay? Okay. Look, I discovered, I always used to think, wonder, why doesn't Jesus jump off the cross? He's this super guy, isn't he? I only, when I came to faith, that I realized he was held there because he wanted to be there. It was a choice to remedy our alienation from God. Christ died for our sins. Notice next, according to the scriptures. The most incredible thing about Jesus is that people knew he was going to be born not nine months beforehand. I mean, we kind of work out these days, don't we? We can even take pictures and work out. In about nine months, there's going to be this young lad or young lass. But people knew of Jesus' birth 700 years 
before the event. And wrote about it. I want to show you, I want to give you some examples. 700 years before he was born, people wrote with, with precision about Jesus Christ, what his life will look like, where he'll be born, how he would die. Look at this about his death. Isaiah 53, 700 years before the time of his happening. But it was for our sins, sorry, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole and God piled all our sins. Sins, by the way, are just anything that we do that falls short of God's standard. Everything we've done on him, on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Beaten bloody for the sins of my people. I mean, would you, would you agree that that describes with precision the execution of Jesus? And yet, it was penned 700 years ahead of the event. And here's 700 years later, Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, after Jesus' death, pens exactly what he saw. And this is what he writes. They spit on him and took his staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after that, they had mocked him. They took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And when you consider, friends, that an article written 700 years previously, an event taking place 700 years later, that marry up perfectly, you have to agree that this book is out of this world. Jesus died for our sins according to that which was predicted 700 years before the event. Christ died for our sins. Let me move on. I'm going to be quick. Number two, Christ was buried. Verse 4, that he was buried. Look, that sounds almost like, oh yeah. Well, when you die, you bury someone. Why is such an elementary piece of information being added to what is an important source of history? And I want to suggest, friends, it's simply this. It's one thing to claim you're dead, but you don't really know someone's dead. It's when you put them six foot under or six foot inside the tomb. You see, the death, sorry, the burial rather, is absolutely essential to prove beyond doubt that this man really died for sin. And even now, there is a religious system in this world that claims that his disciples took his body off the, off the cross before he died. This verse refutes that and says clearly that he was buried. In fact, this is such an important piece of information to confirm that Jesus really died. And you'll see why the death's important in a second, that he really died. That all four authors of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all wrote, they wrote, if you like, a four-dimensional picture of Jesus' life. All four of them have this particular element highlighted in their writings. Let me show you. Matthew, he writes, he was placed in his new tomb, Mark, who was a, dis a friend of Peter, writes, they placed it in a tomb. Luke, he was a doctor, researched the information, interviewed the eyewitnesses, and he writes, they placed him in a tomb. And John, the closest of his disciples, says, or wrote, they laid Jesus there. Look, friends, it's without doubt that Jesus was dead, he died, and he was buried. And so number three, number three now, Christ, and this is why the death's so important, Christ was raised on the third day 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Look, people die. And people die for good causes. You, know, you, you may know of a person who's died trying to rescue somebody else. Something unique about Jesus' death is that this wasn't just a death of someone attempting to rescue somebody else. This was a death that was deliberate to procure your future. And notice this, he was raised on the third day. That is, he was put in the tomb, he was in there long enough to certify his death, and he was in there, and we can be sure that he didn't just walk out of there, or his disciples didn't just steal his body there, because the Jewish people who had him put to death were absolutely convinced that his disciples may try and steal his body, start a worldwide religion based on the fact that Jesus isn't really dead. And so the religious authorities who had him put to death posted guards, Roman guards or Jewish guards who protected his tomb. But we're told that, listen to this, it's incredible. We're told that on the first day of the week, early in the morning, the women took spices on that Sunday morning to prepare his body, to fragrance it for his burial because there wasn't a lot of time on Friday. They found that the stone had been rolled away. What happened to the soldiers? What happened to the yeah? Okay, look, okay, the soldiers are gone. And they entered it and they did not find the body of Jesus there. Christianity's greatest trophy, its centerpiece, its greatest triumph, and there's no religion on the face of the planet that claims this for their founder is alive. He came out of the tomb. He defeated. Let me ask you, what is our greatest enemy? What is the thing that we fear that holds every one of us a prisoner more than any? And no matter how wealthy you are, you can't buy your way out of it. Death. You see what Jesus' resurrection to life is telling us? That he holds the power to life and death. But bringing himself back from death, he's saying to us, look, though you may die one day, I hold the power to giving you an everlasting extension to your existence. That's what his resurrection does. And he proves beyond doubt that this is no phony. This is no guy who could just, you know, in a fool, a couple of Middle Eastern people. There is no founder of a religion anywhere on this planet who's claimed to have come back from the dead but Jesus. You want to know? People always ask me, look, what is so special about Christianity, Montes? Why is it any different to any other religion? There is no other religion whose founder beat death. No one else. That's why it's unique. It's why, I, it's why I'm here. Guys, you know how long it takes to walk 10,000 miles from the UK to Australia? <laughs> Seriously? That's why I'm here. This man has captured my attention like no other person on this planet. I am absolutely taken up with this guy who defeated death. And it's my passion and pleasure and joy to share that with people, with you guys, wherever you may be. Even though you may have a crooked history. In fact, that's more reason for you to have Jesus. Okay? And look, and it's a joy. Jesus is raised from the dead. Christ is raised from the dead. I want to finish now. I've probably gone way over. So let me conclude with what I want to say. Christianity is about Jesus dying 
for the sins of the world. His burial proves that beyond doubt. His resurrection puts Jesus on a platform that no founder of any religion could ever share. And so I want to ask you, I want to ask myself, do I believe? Do you know the wonderful thing about Jesus? Is that we can't sell him to you. Boy, we can make some money. We can't sell him to you. You can only receive him like a child receives a gift by saying, yes, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, that you were buried and that you raised again. I receive you into my life. I make you my Lord, my master. I surrender my life to you and I receive your gift of forgiveness, peace with God, and the hope of heaven beyond this life. That's yours. You can walk out of this building this afternoon, a changed man or woman, with a completely different destiny to the one you came in with. And all it turns on is saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I receive you. Here I am.